Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning, we're starting a new short series called Growing Young. And really what we're going to be doing is focusing our attention on the massive and exciting tasks that we have before us as a church right now, which is imagining a new chapter of our ministry to young people. So back in May, if you were here, uh, uh, Bobby and Millie announced they were moving into a new chapter, a new season of their ministries. And uh, we're going to be honoring them uh, August 8th. So make sure you're here and we're going to just honor all their work and bless them. and what that has done is set off a, a process of envisioning, re-envisioning, re-imagining, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do with this next season of ministering to our young people? And so the title is Growing Young. We desire to be growing young as we grow. In other words, being a place, the kind of church where young people can thrive, uh, where every generation, every member of the family um, is thriving in that way. And so there's three aspects to what's been going on. Number one, it's evaluating our approach. Number two, it's recruiting new leaders. And number three, it's investing in our meeting spaces and our facilities. And so we're in this kind of moment of transition. And any transition offers you both opportunities and threats, right? And the one that you cling to has a lot to do with your your personality. But... Any movie, any novel, I think any war veteran will tell you that it's those moments of risk and adventure that also give you the greatest opportunities for the deepest commitment, the deepest community as well. And so I just pray that we don't miss this moment that we're in. And if I have one prayer for the message today is that uh, I would give you a little dose of spiritual FOMO, which is fear of missing out. All right. So uh, before I get into the message, I'm going to just let you in on a little bit of what's been going on on each of those three fronts. So first of all, in terms of approach, um, back in March, um, I convened what we called a discovery team that conducted a listening campaign uh, with many people across section of the, of the congregation. And that produced kind of the structure of a new vision that we believe is in line uh, with our DNA, um, our, our, our vision as a church. And so the elders over the past couple of months The elders meet weekly. Well, for the past couple of months, uh, we've almost exclusively dedicated our weekly meetings to working through this new vision and the challenges uh, that that the transition presents. Um, And so we've developed a philosophy of ministry, a vision statement, and um, putting together a document, a tangible document that you'll be able to have and and read everything in writing. So that's the the first aspect. The second aspect was leadership. And in terms of leadership, we've put together critical teams at both campuses to make sure that as we transition, as we're building something new, that there's no gap, that we continue to be caring for and ministering to our young people. Uh, Those teams have already started to meet and plan and implement uh, strategies that are beginning to build a new vision uh, on the foundations that we have. Um, In parallel with that, we're also recruiting a full-time youth and kids pastor. We have a detailed job description. We're, we're talking with several candidates right now. Uh, that process is going full steam ahead. Um, thirdly, in terms of facilities, we've also uh, commissioned 
an architectural designer to draw up plans for new kids and youth facilities at both campuses. And I saw, I got to see the, the initial drawings for McCungie last week, and they were really exciting. Um, and, you know, the kind of spaces that are, you know, I would want to spend time in um, as a teenager, for sure. And so, uh, there's a ton going on. There's, there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, and I can attest at least to the, the sweat and the tears. Um, but, uh, I really believe God's given us a new, exciting vision for a chapter of, of uh, this ministry that has come out of listening to you, listening to our young people, reflecting on our gifts and our DNA. And now we're just in the process of putting strategy to that vision. Okay, Lord, you've told us what to do. Now show us how to do it, how to get there. And so you know, every time I talk about this, you can tell I get really excited because it is exciting to me, and I know that it's going to be very good. And so what I want to share with you today in the message is what is this new chapter all about? I got a few minutes back in May to talk about it. I want to go into a little more depth, and we're going to be going into more depth over the coming weeks about this. The vision statement that I shared in May was that NC4 would become a place where every member of the church family is discipling mature kingdom entrepreneurs. Every member of the church family is discipling mature kingdom entrepreneurs. And I'm convinced that this new chapter of what's happening with kids and youth is really just the first step in, uh, in realizing what God has been shaping this church for for years. The Lord spoke into us prophetically that NC4 will be known more for whom it sends than for whom it gathers, uh, that, that he's making us into an apostolic training center, and, and, and apostle means a sent one, by the way, um, that we're to become an entrepreneurial incubator, was one of the words, a place of innovation, and that we'll need new vehicles in order to get there. And so I really think this is the first of those vehicles. Because those words are all about movement. This sounds like a movement to me. It sounds energetic. It sounds innovative. It sounds adventuresome. And so that's really what's encompassed in that phrase, kingdom entrepreneur. Last time I said that, somebody said, oh, we're going to be giving our, you know, giving our kids business classes. And it's like, well, you know, maybe, but that's, that's not what that is really talking about. It's talking about the spirit of entrepreneurship, a person that uh, takes risky, bold steps with the resources that they have to go and do new things. And so that we would become the kind of place where our kids are equipped to take risky, bold steps of faith to build the kingdom with everything God's given them in every place that he puts them. Does that sound exciting to you? Well, it does to me. <laughs> So if this is going to be a movement, it means everyone being in the game. And so the title of today's message is Becoming a Disciple-Making Movement. And I want to turn to a passage that we all know very well. It's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. So we're going to turn there. These are the very last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew. It's after Jesus' resurrection. It's just before his ascension. And um, we're going to read this passage, and I'm going to interject some comments um, along the way. So verse 16 begins, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And I just love 
it's fascinating and encouraging to me, that little detail there, um, because I, I don't know if you can relate to that, that you're, you're worshiping, and yet you know that there's parts of you that um, are, are hesitant. There's parts of you that are doubting. And these 11 men have just spent 40 days with the risen, glorified Christ. Matthew has just referred to them as the 11 disciples, and yet it says some doubted. And so uh, there's somebody here today that needs to hear, doubt is not the opposite of discipleship. Doubt is not the opposite of discipleship. So verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so Jesus issues a mandate. He issues a task, a mission by the authority that's been invested in him. Just like a, uh, you know, a minister would say, by the authority invested in me, by the state of whatever I pronounce you. Well, Jesus, by the authority that's been invested in him, which is all authority in heaven and earth, he gives a mandate. And this is what it is. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the first word of our mission is go. Jesus mandates a movement. And it's a going out to make disciples in the world. This is the singular task of the church. And he follows by clarifying that there's two interlinked steps to what this means. So first of all, he says, baptizing them. Make disciples in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the first, the, the first aspect to this is taking on a new identity. It's adoption into the family of God through uh, this new identity in baptism. And then secondly, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so just, just notice that these are not separate tasks, these are subordinate clauses to the one task. Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. He's defining what making a disciple entails. A disciple is someone who's committed themselves to Jesus as a student learning his way. And you can't do one without doing the other. And he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus promises that he's with us. And what I love is that Jesus is both the teacher and the curriculum. He's both the teacher and the curriculum. And so he's the teacher who's constantly working on us. And he's the curriculum because we are learning to become like him. And he says he's always with us. And so the great commission, you could also call it the great co-mission. In mission together with Jesus. And so, okay, why Am I taking us to this very familiar passage? Is it because I think that there's something new to learn here? Not really. I think there's something old to learn here. Now, I want to give you, when I would teach my students uh, how to write an essay, I would say, say what you're going to say, say it, and then say what you've said. All right? So I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm going to say. This is the message in a nutshell. Young people are being discipled by a culture of consumerism that inherently produces anxiety, division, and dehumanization. The church family is called to apprentice them in authentic humanity, which is the way of Jesus. 
We do this by teaching them the habits of mind, heart, and will that characterize Jesus' own life, not so they just mimic Jesus' life, but that they learn how to live their life as Jesus would if he were them. And if that was a lot to swallow, that's okay. This is what we're going to be talking about. That's just the introduction. So let's break this down. Okay, what is the purpose of youth and kids ministry? Here's a few things the purpose is not. The purpose is not to make ourselves attractive as a church. You know, have a great, the, the wisdom is, have a great youth program and people will come to your church, right? Um, it's not so that parents get free childcare during the service, which, you know, I love just as much as anyone else. Um, it's not about a moral finishing school for our kids. It's not so that when the time comes, they'll have Christian boyfriends and girlfriends to be able to choose from. <laughs> now, all those, all those things are good. They're all good byproducts. But here's the first point that we have to remember. The singular purpose of youth and kids ministry is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our only task. And you're saying, Ian, that's super obvious right? And it is, you're right. But the thing is, if it's obvious, well, then it, it deserves taking a look at how exactly we spend our time, how exactly we allocate our resources, how exactly we program all of the things that go into our kids and youth ministry. Does it reflect that singular purpose? Does it reflect it in the best way uh, to do with who we are and the time that we're in? So it's not about doing what other people are doing. It's not about doing what we did 20, 30 years ago or wherever that may have worked then. It's about asking, Lord, right now, in the season that we're in right now, with who you've shaped us to be right now, what is the best way that we can allocate every part of our blood, sweat, and tears to make disciples out of our kids? So we're in that process of asking, how do we focus everything we do most effectively to make disciples. And so, <laughs> church, do you know what you're contributing to as you contribute to making disciples among our kids? Do you know what you are contributing to? It's the calling. It's the highest calling uh, that Jesus left us with. And so there's, there's a lot of confusion about this word uh, disciple, discipleship. And so I just want to uh, clarify very quickly that a disciple— it's not a word that we use very often outside of church, but a disciple is simply an apprentice, simply a student. And so an apprentice is someone who is learning a skill from a more experienced craftsperson so that they can learn how to apply that skill. Does anyone work in, in uh, you know, uh, the trades, whether it's plumbing or, or building or, you know, electrician. I know that there's more than one person, but that's okay. Um, for the people that just put your hand up, did you learn purely by uh, books and study, or did you also have to work alongside a skilled person and apprentice with them? Just put your hand up if it's a yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we know that this is, we, we see this in other aspects of life. Jesus was a craftsman, uh, he's traditionally called a, a, a carpenter, but that term was also wider. He probably also worked in masonry. And whether it's wood or stone, you, you don't just learn um, from 
the, you know, understanding the concepts you learn as you work alongside a skilled craftsman. Now the skill, so what is the skill? If we're apprenticing ourselves to Jesus, what is the skill that he is teaching us? Well, he's teaching us how to be authentically human, the images of God. Jesus was the most successful human being that ever lived. That's our belief as followers of him. <laughs> he said that when he came, he came to give us life in abundance. And a disciple, someone who's dedicated themselves to learning from Jesus how to live in the abundance that he created us for. And so the driving force behind our youth and kids ministry is to train them as little Jesuses. That's the point of discipleship. Learning from us as we learn from him, just like Paul said uh, to, to the church. And so the end goal is that they would be like him. And this is more than just concepts and beliefs. This is about a life. It's about a life. And so the, the, the definition here is that a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus Christ, learning from him how to become like him. So that's the desire. Well, what's the, what's the challenge the challenge with this is that discipleship to Jesus is not the only kind of discipleship that exists. In fact, everyone is a disciple of someone. The only question is, to whom? We may not even know the person that we're a disciple to, but all of us are being shaped. We're learning what it means to be human from something and someone. And so every story has a villain, we know all about the popular villains that got a lot of airtime, like Marxism or atheism, and those are, those are real things, but I think there's actually a, a, a more insidious threat within the church because it's something that we far less often recognize, far less often see, and it's part of the air that we breathe, and it's this. Our single greatest rival to the way of Jesus, I believe, is consumerism. So what is consumerism? The website Investopedia defines consumerism as Get this, the idea that increasing the consumption of goods and services purchased in the market is always a desirable goal. And that a person's well-being and happiness depend fundamentally on obtaining consumer goods and material possessions. In other words, this is a belief system that says the more you're able to consume, the better off you'll be. The more you're able to consume, the happier, the more fulfilled you will be as a human being. And so really, now many of you are much more able economists than I am, but you could argue our entire economic system is built on this principle. And this is the way, <laughs> when, you, when you begin to think of it like this, consumerism actually has all the hallmarks of a religion. Because religions exist to offer identity, purpose, meaning, community. And so the, the, the easiest way to see that is just think about the advertising that we see every day. All right? The best commercials, the best adverts, most of the time have nothing to do with the actual product. Right? Sometimes if you weren't really paying attention, you'd have no idea what the actual product is. All right? Rather, what they're trying to sell you is the kind of person you will become by consuming this product or owning this product, 
right? The, 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 the doors of cool community that will be opened up to you if you own this product, right? The sense of purpose and meaning that you'll be able to walk down the street with if you own this product, right? So, so you know, it's not a car or a computer. It's a ticket to the good life. That's what's actually being sold, right? And I say that, you know, as an Apple user, they got me, right? Because <laughs> that's what it's all about. So <laughs> the theologian Walter Brueggemann points out that Consumerism leads to both idolatry and greed. Why? Because it places ultimate value on things. And when you place a value on things above God, that's called idolatry. When you place a value on things above people, that's called greed. And so... They're really two sides of the same coin. The New Testament talks about greed, which is idolatry. So think about how this culture is discipling us, and especially our young people. Because that, that time of youth and adolescence is the most formative time of who we become. And so here's a few stats. The fastest religious group, the fastest growing religious group among children and youth is religiously unaffiliated. They call them the nuns. N-O-N-E. Uh, no religious affiliation. For every one convert among young people, there are four who have left Christianity. Over 50% of young people have sent nude or semi-nude photos or videos of themselves. 70% of teenagers are sexually active. Anxiety dis disorders affect over 25% of teenagers. 50% of all mental illness begins at age 14. One in five females and one in seven males uh, engage in self-harm during their teens. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among teenagers. You know, <laughs> why do I share all that? Because I want to say, this is a hard time to be young. This is a hard time to be a young person. Now, every generation has its challenges. We know that. Um, but it's so important to empathize with our young people to say, hey, this is, this is, our young people are dealing with challenges that, you know, even as recently as, as my teenage years, I didn't have to deal with to the extent that they do. And so it's, it's a hard time to be young, but um, this is exactly what Jesus diagnoses in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, he says, you cannot serve God and money. Not that you shouldn't, but that it is impossible. You can't do it. Um, he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans seek after all these things. And so, according to Jesus, consumerism, that life that centers itself on the increasing ability to consume and satisfy our physical desires, Jesus says that is thoroughly pagan. These are the concerns of a paganistic way of life. And so no wonder anxiety is through the roof for our young people and in society in general, I would say, in, in, in our part of the world. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, consumerism disciples us for a life of anxiety because the aims of consumerism are things that are inherently anxiety-producing. 
they are inherently insecure. You always need more to eat. You always need more to drink. You always need more wealth. You always need these things. And then the, 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 the sad irony is that once you have them, now you have to organize your life around protecting them. You know, first I'm going to get rich. And then when I get rich, I got to get the security team to make sure I stay rich. Right? And so there's, there's, no, there's no end to the anxiety. Because consumerism bases everything on consumer experience, it also disciples us to be rootless. Well, if you're not having the best consumer experience here, pick up and move there. Whether that's moving towns, moving churches, moving marriages, moving whatever it is. Because it's constantly shaping us towards getting that better experience, whatever that is. Because consumerism reduces everything to the market principle, it teaches us to objectify human beings. This is the, the perfect breeding ground for a culture obsessed with pornography. That is the objectification, the dehumanization of another person. And so, huh, this is a villain. This is a villain in our midst. And so, here's why I think the message of Jesus Christ is truly good news to the culture that we're in. Because Jesus looks at this culture and he says, are you tired? Are you tired of the rat race? Is anxiety tearing you apart? Come to me. Come and learn from me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come to me and I will give you rest. What a message of hope to a culture that's being torn apart by anxiety. Now think about Jesus. Think about Jesus' character. The most non-anxious presence you could ever imagine. A life completely free from addiction of any kind. Completely free from the need to compare himself with others. Completely free from the need to Instagram every wonderful meal that he's just eaten with his disciples. <laughs> A life that is genuinely free. Genuinely happy and purposeful and meaningful. And so the question is, is, is that kind of life attractive to you? Well, Jesus says, let me be your guide into that kind of life. This is the kind of life that I've come to give you because this is what I call an abundant life. You know, the original term for Christianity was the way. Well, what way? It's Jesus's way. His way of being that produced the character that is so attractive to all of our heart. And so to be a Christian is to be a follower in his way. We follow, in him, we follow him in his way. And so how does this happen? The next point here is that Jesus guides us in his way through his people by his spirit and word. So Notice that when Jesus issues the great commandment, he didn't, this wasn't the sending of the Holy Spirit, right? He didn't send the Holy Spirit out. That happened on another day. He didn't make the disciples his, you know, literary agents, his, you know, his, uh, his publishers distributing the scriptures. Although 
They did that and that was very important. He told them to go, right? To be disciple makers. And so he sent them out as apprentices, apprenticing others. And of course, the way that they did that was in the power of the spirit and through the abiding in the word of Jesus. And that's what he said. But in all of that, the central role is that he says, go, you go. And so when you commit yourself to learning Jesus's way, you're committing to making him your teacher. You become a disciple. And in the moment that that happens, you're baptized into a new identity And then you spend the rest of your life learning from him how to live in that new identity. And so his apprentices begin to apprentice others. That's how the faith moves and expands and multiplies. And it's a co-mission. We're continually learning from Jesus and being discipled as others learn from us and become discipled by us. So... This isn't for a show of hands, but have you ever made a disciple? Have you ever made a disciple? Because according to this passage, you're called to that same task. This is not just for the professional ministers. Every single follower of the way is called into this co-mission with Jesus. And it has very little to do with your chronological age. So let me, let me uh, here's a couple examples of that. Did you know that the disciples, uh, when Jesus chose them and commissioned them, do you know that they were probably all teenagers at the time? He called them and commissioned them. And so youth does not disqualify you. Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. You are called into this co-mission. But neither does age Um, uh, disqualify you. Neither does elderliness disqualify you because we see people in scripture in every stage of life contributing to apprenticing others. And so this is not just about, this is not just about um, being able to teach Bible classes or come up here and do what I'm doing right now. This is about teaching people how how to do your profession as Jesus would for example. This is applicable to every area. How to parent as Jesus would if he were you. How to, uh, you know, care for the sick as Jesus would if you were you, if you're in the medical profession. How to teach if you're a teacher. How to do every aspect of your life as Jesus would if he were you. And so the only qualification is, have you been with Jesus? Have you learned from him? If so, you've got something to teach. Now, I know (laughs) if you're like me, this makes you squirm a little bit in your seat because like me, you're probably thinking, well, but it's so hard to picture the process. Like, what do I actually do? You know, what are the steps? What is the curriculum to this? And Jesus, very simply, he said it's about inviting people to learn from him and teaching them to practice everything that he did. Inviting people to come and become his students. That's the the, the step of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm learning from you what it means to be everything I was created to be. But then it's also the process of learning 
okay, how do I do what Jesus did? And so here's the plan, all right? The next point, we learn his way by practicing his habits and teaching others to do the same. A pen, I feel like a penny has dropped recently for me um, in all of this. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this theme through the body of Christ right now. Uh, you see it in the emotionally healthy spirituality courses that we're teaching right now that I massively encourage you to sign up for because there's a lot of this in there about learning the rhythms and habits of Jesus's life that shape us into the kind of person that he is. Um, I came across it in a book recently by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and what he says uh, not in that book, but in a podcast, is that um, the most radical countercultural thing that the church can do right now is to teach two things the spiritual disciplines of Jesus and how to live in authentic community. And I heard that and I was like, wow, that is beautifully simple. I can, I can picture that. And yet it's, 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 uh, what another author calls simplex. It's simple enough that you can, anyone can capture it, but it's complex enough that you never really exhaust what that means. You can always go deeper. It can always be applied in different ways in different lives and settings. And so I really believe this is at the core of what the Lord is doing um, in this new season of our youth and kids ministry. It's about teaching the practices of Jesus's life. And it's about teaching how to live in authentic community. Because our world is desperately needy for the type of non-anxious, whole life humanity that Jesus lived. And our culture is desperately needing authentic community where people can find belonging and safety and, and uh, a place to grow and thrive as human beings. And so this is at the core, I believe, of, of what's happening Think of the simple power of teaching our kids the habits that were present in Jesus's life that made him the kind of person that he was, and then doing that together in community. So we're talking about, I'm not going to get into all the practices today because this is what we're going to be looking at a little bit in the, in the coming weeks, but practices in Jesus's life that break the power of consumerism and other idolatries. Practices like rest. You know, if you take a Sabbath, if you take a day where you say, God, I am not working on this day because, you know, it's in the Bible. Um, <laughs> I, that is, that's saying to a culture that says, no, you must produce to be valuable. You must work, 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 because if you don't, you're going to fall behind and the competition is going to eat you alive. That is saying, no, God, I trust you. The world turns because you're at work, not because I'm at work. <laughs> and you know, Psalm, uh, is it, is it uh, um, 137, I forget, that says, uh, the Lord gives sleep, uh, the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. That is a statement of a life that is rejecting consumerism and the discipleship that it brings. So it's the practice of rest, the practices of worship, of prayer, of fellowship, all the things we talked about uh, eating together uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, these are some of the practices we see in Jesus's life that are, they're so simple, and yet as you practice them intentionally, they shape you because these are the things that Jesus did in his life. And they particularly shape us as we practice them with other disciples. And so it's, it, it, that, that community aspect is, is key. And so uh, Jesus' mission starts with a go. 
It starts with a go. And the antidote to the world's discipleship is discipleship from Jesus. That is the seedbed of a new culture. That is the seedbed of a deeply, deeply fruitful life. And because he starts by saying go, he's talking about a movement. And I believe this becomes a move. There's lots of other aspects of, of what shapes a movement, what inhibits a movement, but this is at the core of it. Jesus is Lord, and we have a mission with him. That's the, that, that is the, the, the you know, um, the, the essential core of, of what propels us into this movement. And it becomes a movement as we lower the bar of participation and we raise the bar of commitment. We lower the bar to participate. Everyone can participate. Everyone has been given a part of that fivefold ministry, whether you're, you, God's wired you as an apostle, uh, you know, um, a, a prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Uh, he's given you a gift mix to use for the building up of his kingdom. And the, part, the, the bar to participation is very low, but the bar of commitment is very high. And so I believe as we pursue that, this is about building a new culture. This is not just about changing a new, uh, an old culture, which, which really, uh, um, I don't know that that can really be done. The only way to change culture is to create new culture. And you do that by practicing certain things, by making new cultural products. Um, I don't have time to get into all that, but I believe as we begin to build a new culture through some of these things, the result is going to be, and this is uh, the next point, that a disciple-making movement multiplies, as we, as we multiply disciples, we're multiplying leaders. And as we multiply leaders, we're multiplying churches. And we would become known as a place that sends. You know, NC4 through its history has been that. And I just believe we're entering into a new uh, season where we're going to see that multiplication multiply and extend and become greater than we can imagine at this point in time. Success. What does success look like in this picture? It looks like us being the kind of church that produces young people who move into adulthood having absorbed the inner structure of their faith, who have the habits of Jesus's life in their own life, and know how to be faithful members of a community. That's what success looks like. And so as that happens, as every member of the family contributes to that kind of picture, I believe this is going to transform our community. Because this is, you know, if you've been listening, this is not just about young people. <laughs> this is a starting point. All of us are on the road of discipleship, and you never actually get to the end of it until we're transformed in his presence in the new heavens and new earth. But um, even then, I think we continue to grow. <laughs> but I have a challenge to go out today. This is a question for you to, to mull over um, as you leave today. And it's related to the, the, the connecting question that I had you think about in the break, which is this. Are you willing to commit yourself to learning and teaching his way? Are you willing to commit yourself to learning and teaching his way? And you may be sitting there as you hear that, you may be feeling doubt. You may be feeling doubt that this can actually happen. You may be feeling doubt that you could actually play a part. And I think that's okay because, you know, Jesus' disciples, his 11 also felt doubt. And yet, 
They stepped out with boldness and they went out and 11 people that society thought were good for nothing changed the world and we're here as a result. Young people are being discipled by a culture of, consum of consumerism that is inherently producing anxiety and division and dehumanization. But the church family, here, I, I said what I was going to say. I said it, now I'm saying it. I'm telling, I'm telling you what I said, okay? The church family, that's you, that's us, is called to apprentice them in authentic humanity, which is the way of Jesus. We do this by teaching them the habits of mind, heart, and will that characterize Jesus' own life, not so they simply mimic his life, but so that they learn how to live their life as Jesus would if he were them. That's a mouthful. <laughs> not so we just mimic Jesus' life, but so that we would know how to live our lives as he would if he were us. And so this question is, will you be a discipler? Ask the Lord, put someone on my heart, open up a, a, a connection to a relationship. And we're going to be, um, you know, we're, we're brainstorming ways of how can we create environments where these kinds of relationships can naturally spring up. And um, maybe it's someone that you want to approach that you want to spend time with. Uh, maybe it's someone that you want to get to know uh, so that you can pray for them. Um, uh, New Life, our, our sister church in the, in the network has this beautiful picture. They said, we want every young person in the church to have five people that know their name, know their story, and are praying for them. I, that, that so impacted me. It's like, wow, if we could have that, what kind of relationships would ensue? What kind of mentorships would ensue? And the cool thing about all this is that Jesus says, you're not alone in this. I am with you even to the end of the age. And so, as I issue that invitation from Jesus, there may be someone here, there may be someone watching online or in Mukunji being live streamed right now that you know that you have never dedicated yourself to make Jesus your teacher, to make Jesus. That's, that's what being Lord means. It means I'm learning from you above everything else. And so if that's you, if you've never made that step of commitment, I want to issue an invitation to you right now because Jesus is issuing it right now. And if, you, if you feel your heart burning to respond to that invitation, to begin learning from him what it means to really be everything that you were made to be, you can pray this prayer of commitment. So we're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and if that's you, you can pray this with me. Jesus, I want to make you my teacher. I'm sorry for how I've lived my life in rebellion. I've made such a mess on my own. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you came to rescue me. That you lived the life I should have lived. You died the death that I deserved. And because of that, Jesus, I want to learn from you. Please give me your Holy Spirit. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you're inviting me into a life with you right now. And I commit my life to walking with you as your student. Amen. Which simply means, may it be so. 
thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.